You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who is your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? And that was an excerpt of Writings on Disobedience and Democracy by Vinnie Paz. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can find all of the back episodes of You Can't Be Neutral at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You'll also find the link there to send me a message and some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. First up is a piece published at TheGuardian.com written by Tom Perkins. A French industrial fabric producer that poisoned drinking water supplies with PFAS forever chemicals across 65 square miles of southern New Hampshire misled regulators about the amount of toxic substance it used, a group of state lawmakers and public health advocates charge. The company, St. Gobain, now admits it used far more PFAS than regulators previously knew, and officials fear thousands more residents outside the contamination zone's boundaries may be drinking tainted water in a region plagued by cancer clusters and other health problems thought to stem from PFAS pollution. St. Gobain in 2018 agreed to provide clean drinking water in the 65-square-mile area as part of a consent agreement with New Hampshire regulators, and damning evidence suggesting it used more PFAS than previously admitted surfaced in a trove of documents released in a separate class-action lawsuit. People are sick, there are really high cancer rates, and people literally have died, So when you see what's happening and the company acts like this, it's really upsetting, said Mindy Mesmer, a former state representative who analyzed the documents and sent them to the New Hampshire Attorney General and state regulators. St. Cobain has denied wrongdoing. PFAS, or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, are a class of about 12,000 chemicals used across dozens of industries to make products resist water stains, and heat. The highly toxic compounds don't naturally break down and are linked to cancer, thyroid disease, kidney problems, decreased immunity, birth defects, and other serious health problems. They have been called forever chemicals due to their longevity in the environment. St. Cobain Performance Plastics Merrimack, New Hampshire plant had for decades treated its products with PFOA, one type of PFAS, to make them stronger. The company released PFOA from its smokestacks, and the chemicals, once on the ground, moved through the soil and into aquifers. Hundreds of residential and municipal wells pull from the groundwater. As the company and New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services, DES, negotiated the 2018 consent agreement, company officials repeatedly said they didn't use pure PFOA, or didn't have a record of using it, but instead used a diluted PFOA mixture, of which the toxic chemical only comprised about 2%. 
In a 2016 letter to state regulators, St. Cobain wrote that it, quote, never used pure PFOA as a raw material at any point in time in Merrimack. And in 2014, told the EPA, it, quote, is not and never has been a user of PFOA per se anywhere in the United States. The diluted PFOA wouldn't spread as widely as pure PFOA, and the modeling that determined the boundaries within which St. Cobain would be responsible for providing clean drinking water supplies and remediating contamination was developed with a diluted solution as an input. But the documents released as part of the lawsuit show St. Cobain knew it used pure PFOA years before the consent decree. Among the evidence are 2003 emails between company employees explicitly stating the Merrimack facility treated its fabric with pure PFOA. Meanwhile, a former St. Cobain attorney who is now whistleblowing testified that sales records from 3M, which sold PFOA to St. Cobain, show the company bought hundreds if not thousands of pounds of pure PFOA. The 3M sales records are under seal in the class action suit. And a salesman for DuPont, which also sold PFAS products to St. Cobain, last year testified that he had, quote, learned that they were using pure PFOA and adding it to our products. The modeling used to develop the original contamination zone's boundaries is fundamentally flawed because it did not account for the pure PFOA, an engineer hired by St. Cobain testified in February. St. Cobain no longer denies that it used pure PFOA. However, in a statement to The Guardian, the company wrote it, quote, vehemently denies any allegation it withheld data or misled the New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services. The information was not new, quote unquote, because it was in 90,000 documents it gave to the DES since 2016, the company wrote. Mesmer said she's skeptical of that explanation. If you throw 90,000 papers at somebody, is that really notifying them? In response to a follow-up question about why it developed the consent decree modeling assuming diluted PFOA instead of pure PFOA, the company said the type of PFOA was only, quote, one factor considered in setting the boundaries. In their July letter to the Attorney General's office and DES, Mesmer and other lawmakers asked for an investigation and to expand the boundaries of the contamination zone. The state has, quote, sound legal basis to hold St. Cobain fully accountable for their pollution, including beyond the current boundary, the letter reads. The Attorney General's office told The Guardian it is reviewing the documents, while the DES did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Some are also frustrated with the DES. Documents show it knew it didn't have St. Cobain's complete PFAS purchase records from before 2004, but still entered into the consent agreement. Quote, The regulatory agency is broken, and I'm really angry with the state departments that are supposed to be there to protect the environment and residents, said Lorene Allen, a Merrimack resident and clean water activist. Think of the harm that could have been prevented. The documents reveal a company executive stating in 2006 that St. Cobain, quote, ought to downplay the potential health risks of PFOA relative to other PFAS and argue there are no proven health risks. 
but a 1995 company memo shows management had issued a decree to stop using PFOA, quote, because of its toxicity and long half-life. The company had also, in 2006, conducted blood tests for PFOA on its employees, but the results remain under seal, and the plant's previous owner, in 1980, investigated why its male employees were experiencing impotence and, quote, polymer fever. They all knew, Mesmer said. So that's one story of many thousands of similar stories in the U.S. and around the world with this family of chemicals, PFAS, 12,000 different chemicals, most of which have never been studied for uh, health effects, for environmental effects, because we don't, we don't live in a modern capitalist world um, scientifically with the precautionary principle in mind. The precautionary principle says you don't do something unless you have high confidence that there is low risk. So in this case, you don't use a chemical, you don't release a chemical into the environment unless you have high certainty that there is very, very low risk to environmental damage or to human or animal or plant health. Um, but that's not the, the principle that we live by. I don't know. We live by the principle of capitalism, which means you do it if it makes profit. And then you worry about the consequences later. You reap the profits. Then you externalize those costs. You let someone else pay for those costs. You let the, the government or you let the people pay for those costs through having to to pay for their medical care after they've you know um, developed medical conditions that have been influenced or caused by these toxins that you produce and release it is a, a great system for producing lots of profits which are shared by very few people and it is a terrible system for protecting human life and the environment. This whole episode is going to talk more about PFAS and contamination. And I have so many recent articles about this that the following episode is also going to talk about PFAS. Next up is a piece published at wisconsinwatch.org. This piece is written by Bennett Goldstein. Jim Boysen and Margie Walker conceived of their single-story residence as a forever home. They moved in 1979 to Wisconsin's French Island, an unincorporated community of 4,300. Sandwiched between the Black and Mississippi Rivers in the town of Campbell, it forms a picturesque piece of the Driftless area, where people toss tennis balls to their dogs at the beach, and cord grass rustles in the breeze. Visitors can catch water ski shows on Wednesday nights during the summer and grab battered haddock at Tom Sawyer's Bar and Grill during lunch breaks. 
When told her Second Avenue house was beautiful, Margie, 76, asks, You want to buy it? She laughs, her face crinkling beneath wire-rimmed glasses. Jim and Margie went antiquing throughout their 44-year marriage. They amassed a formidable collection of Delft blue china, which they display in their cozy living room. Margie started with thimbles, to which she added a menagerie of beer steins, windmills, and clogs. The objects vary, but their imagery revolves around Dutch pastoral landscapes, canals, levees, and sailboats, water everywhere. But water is now their top worry. Jim and Margie's home connects to a private well that taps into French Island's underground aquifer. Then they were told harmful chemicals had infiltrated it. Their house, sage green and surrounded by pink petunias, sits atop a toxic plume of PFAS that has disrupted life on the island. PFAS, or per- and polyfluoral alkyl substances, are a class of more than 12,000 human-made compounds. The group of forever chemicals accumulate in the environment and human bodies over time. People primarily ingest the often odorless, colorless, and tasteless substances through drinking water. PFAS are ubiquitous in consumer and industrial products, including certain firefighting foams. Scientists haven't studied most of the chemicals deeply, but they link two of the most widely researched, PFOA and PFOS, to a range of health problems, including altered hormone levels, decreased birth weight, digestive inflammation and ulcers, high cholesterol, hypertension in pregnancy, kidney and testicular cancers, and reduced vaccine effectiveness in children. Manufacturers knew and concealed the hazard for decades. Virtually no amount of PFAS are safe for consumption, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. In June, it updated its draft health advisories for PFOA and PFOS to minuscule levels. 0.004 parts per trillion and 0.02 parts per trillion, respectively. PFAS are manifesting in public drinking systems and surface waters across Wisconsin as testing increases. In 2020 and 2021, labs detected PFAS in nearly 98% of the 539 private drinking wells sampled in Campbell, contaminants that likely were present for years. The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources asks polluters to provide emergency bottled water to residents until the contaminants are mitigated or another solution is found. The agency provides water at state expense if no responsible party exists or the polluter is unwilling or unable to do so. There is, is capitalism for you, externalizing those costs, reaping the profits, making the state, the city, the county, Pick up the tab. Jim and Margie are among the 1,350-plus French Island households who have received bottles through either the department or the city of La Crosse. But those lifelines could disappear due to a pollution lawsuit that has implications for the 1.7 million Wisconsinites, roughly one-third of the state's population, who rely on private wells. 
An industry group sued the Department of Natural Resources in 2021, arguing that the agency can't force polluters to clean up hazardous PFAS spills without first creating rules. The agency currently oversees the remediation of PFAS from at least 84 sites statewide, including French Island. But environmental rulemaking can take more than two years in Wisconsin due to bureaucratic hurdles Republican lawmakers enacted a decade ago. The loss of government-provided water would leave residents with stark choices. Depart their homes, pay thousands of dollars for their own jugs, or knowingly consume toxic chemicals. Meanwhile, the city of La Crosse, due east of French Island, has annexation rights to certain Campbell properties whose owners use city water instead of private wells. The agreement is part of a decades-long boundary feud between the municipalities. The township wants to modify it out of concern that annexation will chip away at Campbell's property tax revenue, increase residents' tax bills, and jeopardize the island's autonomous fire and police services. Those controversies put French Island at the nexus of legal wrangling over how governments assign fault and assist PFAS-polluted communities. In many ways, it feels like we are being held hostage, Campbell's supervisor, Lee Donahue, said. On June 16, 2001, a sunny, clear morning, a 1950s-era two-seater jet smashed into the ground during an air show at the La Crosse Regional Airport. The aircraft's wingtip tank separated in flight and destroyed the plane's tail. Fire consumed the deformed fuselage, leaving the grass charred just blocks away from Jim and Margie's home. I didn't want to look and see it burn knowing that there were two people inside it, said Jim. PFAS presumably sunk into the ground from the firefighting foam used to extinguish the burning wreckage. The concussion reverberates years later. That's what Jim and Margie learned when a city contractor tested their well in November 2020. It contained PFOA and PFOS in the amount of 70 parts per trillion, along with a cocktail of 10 other PFAS. The total concentration was 12.5 times greater than that which the Wisconsin Department of Health Services considers hazardous. A contractor hired by La Crosse in 2019 documented several other PFAS hotspots beneath the airport. Spills occurred on the terminal apron and possibly at the airport's former fire station. Staff also annually collected foam samples from firefighting equipment west of the airport taxiway, as the Federal Aviation Administration required. The agency mandates that airport firefighting foam meet performance standards. Currently, only PFAS-containing foams do. During the 1970s through 1988, the La Crosse Fire Department and airport personnel also participated in staged burns. They ignited industrial waste solvents in pits and practiced extinguishing the flames using PFAS-containing foam. I was told by our personnel when I started in the fire department and would train, the product was the same thing as dish soap, that it was okay, said retired firefighter Mike Jorgensen. It covers the fire with a blanket just like soap suds when you spray it. The La Crosse Airport no longer uses the foam during practice drills. Wisconsin lawmakers limited its use in 2020 to emergencies or equipment tests inside facilities with special containment 
and disposal protocols. The Department of Natural Resources asked the city to provide bottled water to residents whose wells exceeded state health recommendations. But the city could not handle the prolific contamination alone. City and county officials requested assistance, prompting the Department of Health Services to issue an island-wide drinking water advisory in March 2021. That made all French Island residents eligible for temporary emergency water. Jim and Margie used to live simple lives, relishing each visit with their 17 grandkids. Now each month, Culligan workers stuff a half dozen jugs of water into their coat closet. Each weighs 40 pounds, and Jim has to roll them on the floor to attach them to their dispenser. Jim and Margie received their first bottles December 24, 2020. That was our Christmas present, said Jim. When he wants a glass of water, he catches himself gliding towards the sink. He stops, then reroutes to the Culligan machine. Without clean water, residents rethink their routine decisions, once performed reflexively. They forget that their taps are polluted, errantly rinsing their toothbrushes under the faucet, gargling in the shower, or giving their tomatoes a drink with the garden hose. Then they remember, they must give up these things for their health's sake. Death by 1,000 Concessions French Islanders recall the friends and family who developed cancer and wonder whether PFAS were to blame. Their questions go unanswered. One of the more insidious aspects of living on a contaminated island is the veil of uncertainty. Jim noticed a lump on his neck about two years after moving to French Island. Doctors removed the growth, which was attached to his thyroid. It returned this year, and Jim remains under observation for cancer. Losing their emergency water would amplify the couple's burdens. The cost would be huge, said Margie, a retired Gunderson Health System employee. Jim, a former truck driver and U.S. Marine Corps veteran, said they barely make their tax payments and fear losing their house. The nagging fret wears on them during their retirement. This golden years is a bunch of shit, Jim said, his voice cracking. This has knocked our golden years right down the tubes. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers wearily delivered his speech during a July press conference inside French Island's public library. Behind him hung a poster of a dinosaur, encouraging kids to read beyond the beaten path. The Democrat announced the state would sue the 3M company, DuPont, and other manufacturers of PFAS-containing materials. He described emergency bottled water as a band-aid, not a solution. A separate legal challenge from Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, the state's largest business lobby, threatens to rip the bandage off before residents have found an alternative. That lawsuit, filed in Waukesha County Circuit Court, stems from a pollution case on the other side of Wisconsin. WMC sued the Department of Natural Resources last year on behalf of an Okonomowoc dry cleaning business after the agency directed the owners to address spilled PFAS on the property. The plaintiff's attorneys argue that the department cannot enforce the order on a substance that has not been subject to rulemaking. The up to 30-month process would entail adopting a list of substances and thresholds that make them hazardous, all subject to legislative approval. 
Without knowing how the department defines a hazardous substance, WMC called it impossible for a party to know when they are required to report a spill. The agency essentially expects the public to read their minds, WMC claimed. The Department of Natural Resources maintains that a court loss would strip its authority to compel polluters to clean up chemicals and provide emergency water under the state's long-standing spills law. The statute requires the reporting of spills and environmental restoration by entities that pollute air, soil, or water, or that discover past contamination on their property. Several French Island families filed affidavits in the case, describing economic hardships they would face if they lost their bottled water. Some residents wonder what it would mean to leave the island, yet lament the uncertain financial prospects of selling their homes. How do you sell a house that's got a bad well? said Linda Prale, a property owner whose water tested at 424 parts per trillion for PFOA and PFOS. In April, a judge sided with industry groups, but later delayed the effect of his order while the state agency appeals. The case holds repercussions for the department's authority to respond to all emerging contaminants, especially PFAS. The Department of Natural Resources has declined to comment during the litigation. WMC did not respond to requests for comment. Legal experts called the spills law versatile because it relies upon broad criteria to define hazardous substances, such as concentration, quantity, and toxicity. It is meant to err on the side of caution and allow the DNR to react, said Bob Lee, staff attorney with Midwest Environmental Advocates, which has filed a brief in defense of the spills law. There is no way that DNR can anticipate any and every discharge that might have some adverse impact on public health and the environment. That contrasts with other states and the federal government, which allow for both the listing of hazardous compounds individually and the designation of hazardous substances through other criteria, said Steph Tai, a University of Wisconsin-Madison law professor. But regulation of PFAS is difficult given the thousands of such chemicals in existence. Shortly after Evers finished his French Island speech, Donahue, the Campbell supervisor, stood before a pack of reporters, fuming, taking aim at state legislators and business groups who have resisted efforts to regulate the chemicals. As June Marquette Law School poll found that 61% of Wisconsinites were concerned about PFAS. It's beyond me, Donahue said, how any legislator who's ever had a family, been part of a family, can say I'm not concerned about the health of others. Democratic lawmakers introduced bills in 2019 and 2021 that would have required the Department of Natural Resources to establish PFAS standards and reporting requirements, or to apply the Department of Health Services' recommended enforcement standards and offer well-testing grants. But neither bill received hearings in GOP-controlled committees. The legislature also stripped measures from Evers' budget that would have helped fund the state's PFAS action plan. Donahue, a French Island resident since 2005, lives near its western side by Lake Onalaska. In the nearby backwaters adjacent to the dike that borders Lock and Dam No. 7, beavers feed their young and thwack their tails on summer evenings. Boats ply the waters, and in the winter people come to skate and ice fish. 
Life on French Island is ideal, Donahue says, except for its drinking water. Our legislature has the ability to make decisions that will increase the health and safety of our residents in Campbell, in Peshtigo, in Rhinelander, Wausau, she told the news crews. Her hands rose and fell with each mention of a Wisconsin municipality grappling with PFAS contamination. And the longer they failed to do so, she trailed off, shaking her head. I don't know how you sleep at night. The Office of GOP Senate President Chris Kapenga declined several requests for an interview to respond to criticism and discuss his caucus's plans to mitigate PFAS. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and Senate Majority Leader Devin LeMayhew's offices did not respond to requests for comment. Republicans, like their Democratic colleagues, have offered some PFAS-related proposals in recent legislative sessions. Representative Elijah Benke of Oconto introduced a bill in 2021 to appropriate $10 million for testing and remediation. However, residents of PFAS-polluted communities and environmentalists criticized a caveat in the legislation that municipalities receiving the funding could not sue those responsible for the contamination. In August, Green Bay Senator Eric Wimberger released a bill package that focuses on spreading of PFAS-laden waste on farmland. As the spills law challenge plays out in court, critics say the GOP appointed majority on the Wisconsin Natural Resources Board, which sets the Department of Natural Resources policy, has also thwarted the agency's efforts to regulate PFAS. That majority holds in part because Fred Pren, an appointee of former Republican Governor Scott Walker, refused to leave the board after his term expired in May 2021. Wisconsin's conservative majority Supreme Court ruled that he could do so until the Senate confirms Evers' nominee. The chamber has yet to hold a hearing. Pren, who did not respond to a request for comment, cast a deciding vote in contentious decisions on PFAS. In February, the board rejected PFAS groundwater quality standards and approved less stringent regulations for PFAS in drinking water. It approved standards as proposed for surface water. Greenlighting PFOA and PFOS groundwater standards would not expand the department's authority to order a spill cleanup, but it does clarify the process. Standards better inform polluters of remediation goals. Without them, the agency and responsible party must develop a standard for each spill's site, according to the Department of Natural Resources. NRB Chairman Greg Kazmierski said in a recent interview, that the lack of cost-effective options to remove PFAS from water influenced his vote against the department's groundwater proposal. He and other board members criticized the Department of Natural Resources estimate that posited that businesses and governments would incur expenses totaling $9.5 million over two years, just short of the $10 million threshold that requires legislation to authorize the change. Our perspective all along has been that these are very serious chemicals and that we need to try to do something about it, Kazmierski told Wisconsin Watch. However, that being said, is it even doable? The EPA's updated health advisories for PFOA and PFOS implied that almost no amount of the chemicals is safe to consume over a lifetime. The levels were far lower than the standards the Department of Natural Resources proposed in 2019 for both groundwater and public drinking water. 20 parts per trillion for PFOA and PFOS individually 
or combined. Vice Chairman Bill Bruins downplayed the significance of the EPA's draft advisory when asked whether he would support tightening Wisconsin's standards. Regulatory bodies must ensure their rules are, quote, right and just, he said, and health advisories should be, quote, properly vetted before the state acts upon them. If we try to eliminate all the hazards in our daily living, we tend to create a bigger and bigger bubble, and pretty soon we really aren't living, Bruins told Wisconsin Watch. The PFAS chemicals have been around a long time and been used for some very beneficial things for a long time. And whatever we do, whatever we implement, as we understand those chemicals, they aren't going to disappear overnight. The Department of Natural Resources in September restarted the process to set groundwater standards for several PFAS, including the two rejected by the Natural Resources Board. French Island residents find some hope for federal-level action. The EPA in August proposed designating PFOA and PFOS as hazardous substances, which would require polluters to report spills and potentially pay for the cleanup. The Department of Natural Resources is assessing what that change means for Wisconsin. Additionally, the EPA expects to issue enforceable drinking water standards in 2023 for PFAS in public water systems. Wisconsin would have to write a new standard to comply unless the state enacts tighter regulations first. The federal rule would not apply to private wells because the EPA does not regulate them. French Island residents on private wells would still fall through the cracks. Not all island residents, that is, young children, fully understand their predicament. The Bryce family, who has lived in their French island home since 2006, did not test their well. They assume PFAS seeped into it as it did with their neighbors. The Bryces and their pug beagle mix, Coco, drink water from a black Culligan dispenser. The backyard, once bursting with vegetables, has been winnowed to hydrangeas and lilies. Heather Bryce and her older son and daughter, Jameson and Ava, do their best to explain to the younger brother why he cannot drink the bad water. Quote, My baby brother does not know what to do because he's only three years old, and we use the water every day, Ava once wrote in an essay. It is so hard to keep my baby brother from doing things that are bad. Jackson, now four, is apt to swallow the water in their outdoor pool or put his hands in his mouth after playing with the bathroom faucet. Heather worries. How will the contamination affect her kids? So I don't know, she said. It's frustrating. Jim Boysen also lacks answers. Who will pay in the end? I'm not the type of person who is looking for a million-dollar settlement or something, but I want some satisfaction, he said. My wife, my kids, my grandkids. I won't be around long enough probably to see what happens to them as a result of this. But until the day I die, I'll be thinking about it. As I mentioned before, many chemicals that are in use did not go through any serious, rigorous testing for environmental and human impacts before their use. So we're left now with studies that track and follow and examine the effects of toxins like these once they're released into the environment. Once they're absorbed into all of our bodies, now the effects can be studied.
and that takes a very long time for that process to happen. But those studies are showing alarming things. Here's a piece by Victoria St. Martin, published at InsideClimateNews.org. The ubiquity of the toxic class of substances commonly known as forever chemicals is well established. Now medical researchers have zeroed in on their effects on a crucial component of the human body's internal filtration system, the liver. In a peer-reviewed study published this month in JHEP Reports, a sister publication of the Journal of Hepatology, researchers at the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California found that people who had the highest levels of exposure to the chemical perfluorooctane sulfonic acid were 4.5 times more likely to develop liver cancer than those with the lowest exposure. Scientists' understanding of the effects of forever chemicals has steadily evolved since 2015, when researchers observed that the chemicals, varieties of perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances, known by the acronyms PFAS, were present in over 95% of blood serum samples collected from the general U.S. population. Last year, scientists noted the presence of PFAS for the first time in the snow and melted water at the summit of Mount Everest. PFAS are known as forever chemicals because of the slow rate at which they break down in the environment and their persistence in accumulating in the human body and other organisms. Commonly used in such household items as nonstick pans, cleaning products, and stain-resistant coatings on fabrics and carpet, they have been shown to increase the risk of certain cancers, suppress immune system response, decrease fertility, and lead to developmental delays in children. Although earlier research had linked occurrences of liver cancer in animals to PFAS, the study is one of the first that connects the most common form of liver cancer in humans, hepatocellular carcinoma, to the chemicals. Jesse Goodrich, an environmental epidemiologist who served as one of the study's lead authors, said he and his colleagues examined blood samples collected from participants in a large-scale research project conducted in 1999 to 2000 and then track the health histories of those participants two decades later. Goodrich and his fellow researchers identified 50 participants who, over time, were diagnosed with liver cancer and compared their 20-year-old blood samples with those of 50 people in the project who did not develop cancer. The results showed that those whose blood samples placed them in the top 10% of participants registering PFAS exposure in 2000 had a higher risk of developing liver cancer than those who had the lowest exposure. Quote, A really important part of the studies is actually being able to say that before these people got cancer, they had higher levels of the chemicals, Goodrich said. And that helps us to determine that it's more likely in this situation that it's actually PFAS that are associated with the cancer as opposed to just some sort of random chance. Goodrich said that one of the more critical implications of the findings was the high mortality rate associated with liver cancer, which in 2020 was the world's third deadliest form of cancer. The five-year survival rate for those diagnosed with liver cancer is about 20%. Any increase in risk is unacceptable, Goodrich said. 
Researchers also find that PFAS disrupts the normal metabolic functions of the liver, which can lead to a condition known as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The study noted that cases of fatty liver disease have been on the rise globally in recent years. By 2030, researchers said nearly a third of all American adults may be diagnosed with the condition. The findings on PFAS and liver cancer were made public roughly a week after the release of a report by the National Academies calling for increased testing among people with a history of elevated exposure to the chemicals. That includes those with occupational exposure, those who have lived in communities with documented contamination, and those who have lived where contamination may have occurred, the Academy's study said. Like people living near airports, military bases, wastewater treatment plants, farms, landfills, and incinerators. For those with 2 nanograms per millimeter, milliliter of PFAS in their blood, the academies recommended routine screening for high cholesterol and breast cancer. For those with higher levels, annual thyroid testing is recommended, as is regular screening for kidney and testicular cancer. What these recommendations are doing is helping us start the conversation about what kinds of medical care people who have had this exposure should start to receive, said Jane Hoppen, a member of the Academy's committee that issued the recommendations. Hoppen, who is also an environmental epidemiologist at North Carolina State University, said the recommendations are intended to supplement guidance from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Beyond the health risks of PFAS, the economic toll of regular exposure to the chemicals can be steep. Researchers at New York University's Grossman School of Medicine found that the combined toll of medical bills and lost worker productivity resulting from ailments linked to PFAS is at least $5.5 billion nationwide. Their peer-reviewed study, published in the journal Exposure and Health, identified 13 conditions including cancer, thyroid disease, infertility, and diabetes that will cost Americans as much as $63 billion over the lifetimes of the nation's current population. Leonardo Transand, the report's senior author, said his team's research underscored the need for policy measures and steps to curtail the use of products that contain PFAS. There's a large body of evidence that's rapidly accumulated supporting the effects of PFAS on the entire U.S. population, from cradle to grave, he said. Trasand noted that some policymakers have questioned the expense of moving away from the use of products containing the chemicals, commonly found in food packing, furniture and oil, and water-resistant clothing. A lot of people say it's too costly, said Trasand. But the reality is that we are paying in the form of disease and disability at the present if we don't do anything. So this study really adds to the case for action. Here's a story about another study, this, this one written by Tom Perkins, published at TheGuardian.com. Toxic PFAS chemicals were detected in every umbilical cord blood sample across 40 studies conducted over the last five years, a new review of scientific literature from around the world has found. The studies collectively examined nearly 30,000 samples and many linked fetal PFAS exposure to health complications in unborn babies, young children, and later in life. 
The study's findings are disturbing, said Loma Uke, an environmental health science fellow with the Environmental Working Group, which analyzed the peer-reviewed study's data. Even before you've come into the world, you are already exposed to PFAS, she said. PFAS, or per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, are a class of about 12,000 chemicals commonly used to make products resist water, stains, and heat. They are called forever chemicals because they do not naturally break down and accumulate in human bodies and the environment. Humans are exposed to the ubiquitous chemicals via multiple routes. PFAS are estimated to be contaminating drinking water for over 200 million people in the U.S. and have been found at alarming levels in meat, fish, dairy, crops, and processed foods. They are also in a range of everyday consumer products like nonstick cookware, food packaging, waterproof clothing, stain guards like Scotchgard, and some dental floss. PFAS and products can be absorbed through the skin, swallowed, or breathed in as they break off from products and move them through the air. The presence of these chemicals is also a threat to pregnant people, serving as first contacts with PFAS before they can pass from the uterus to the developing fetus by way of the umbilical cord, Uke said. Scientists focused on umbilical cord blood because the cord is the lifeline between the mother and baby. The findings are especially troubling because fetuses are, quote, more vulnerable to these exposures because their developing bodies don't have the mechanisms to deal with the chemicals, Uke added. The studies linked fetal exposure to higher total cholesterol and triglycerides in babies and changes in their body's bile acids, which can lead to higher risk of cardiovascular problems later in life. Some studies also associated cord blood exposure with disruptions to thyroid glands and microbial cells in the colon. PFAS can remain in the body for years or even decades, and some studies link fetal exposure to effects throughout childhood and adulthood, including on cognitive function, reproductive function, changes in weight, eczema, and altered glucose balance. The studies identified about 35 different kinds of PFAS compounds, including some newer chemicals that industry and some regulators claim do not accumulate in the body. However, science is limited in the number of PFAS compounds it can detect in blood, so it is highly likely that many more of the chemicals passed on to fetuses. EWG said the best protection is for women to avoid using products that contain PFAS and use reverse osmosis of granulated activated carbon filters that can filter the chemicals if they are in a mother's drinking water. However, Uke said the findings underscore the need for the Environmental Protection Agency and the Food and Drug Administration to ban all non-essential uses of PFAS, establish limits for all PFAS compounds in drinking water, stop industrial discharges, and establish limits for PFAS in food. Despite overwhelming evidence that all PFAS that have been studied are persistent in the environment and toxic, the FDA and EPA have so far resisted banning non-essential uses of the chemicals. The EPA last year rolled out a broad plan designed to rein in the chemicals' use and limit exposures, but public health advocates say it falls far short of what the situation demands. It also largely focuses on four out of 12,000 PFAS compounds. Quote, I'm a mother of two. 
I have a seven and a three-year-old, and knowing that I could have exposed my children to PFAS is disturbing, Uke said. With this review, we are telling the EPA and FDA to please take simple steps to reduce PFAS exposures and to protect our children. And now we move from the exposure of fetuses to PFAS chemicals to the impact of PFAS chemicals on developing adolescents. This piece is written by Olivia Rosan and is published at ecowatch.com. Exposure to a whole soup of toxic forever chemicals can disrupt biological processes in children and young adults in a way that puts them at risk from diseases like cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular ailments. That's the quote surprising finding of a first-of-its-kind study from researchers at the University of Southern California's Keck School of Medicine, published in Environmental Health Perspectives Wednesday, that has important implications for how per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances should be regulated. Quote, We are really only beginning to understand the range of effects that these chemicals have on human health. Study co-author and Keck School Professor of Population and Public Health Sciences, Letta Chatsi, MD, PhD, said in a press release emailed to EcoWatch. While current interventions have focused on phasing out the use of individual PFAS, such as PFOS and PFOA, this re research shows why the focus should be on reducing exposure to all PFAS chemicals. PFAS are a class of thousands of chemicals that have been used in manufacturing since the 1940s. They are commonly found in firefighting foam and nonstick or waterproof products, to name a few. They are also widely dispersed in the environment and the human body, where some have a half-life as long as 25 years. It is estimated that 200 million U.S. residents use drinking water contaminated with levels of perfluorooctane sulfonic acid, PFOS, or perfluorooctanoic acid, PFOA, two of the most common and dangerous PFAS, above the new health advisory set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency in 2022. Furthermore, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has found that since 1999, the PFAS, PFOS, and PFOA perfluorohexane sulfonic acid, PFHXS, and perfluoroanoic acid, PFNA, have shown up in the blood serum of nearly everyone 12 and older who the agency tested. All of this is concerning because PFAS have been linked to a number of health problems, including cancer, immunosuppression, and reproductive or developmental issues. However, until now, it wasn't clear how exposure to PFAS might disrupt metabolic or metabolic pathways in order to cause these negative health effects, the study authors pointed out. To try to fill in this gap, the research team looked at both PFAS exposure and changes to metabolic pathways in two groups of children and young adults. The study authors focused on young people because they are still developing and therefore more vulnerable to outside influences like PFAS, and because it is during this time that the seeds for adult diseases are sown, the press release pointed out. The 
two study groups were 312 overweight or obese adolescents from the study of Latino adolescents at risk and 137 young adults from the Southern California Children's Health Study. For each group, the researchers tested them for a variety of PFAS and also naturally occurring chemicals. Further, they developed a unique method to test how the PFAS were impacting the occurrence of the natural chemicals, which allowed them to assess both thyroid levels and the metabolism of amino acids and lipids. What they found was that both groups had been widely exposed to a variety of PFAS, including PFOA, FOS, PFHXS, and PFNA. What's more, that exposure altered their metabolisms. Quote, our findings were surprising and have broad implications for policymakers trying to mitigate risk, study lead author and Keck assistant professor of population and public health sciences, Jesse A. Goodrich, Ph.D., said in the press release. We found that exposure to a combination of PFAS not only disrupted lipid and amino acid metabolism, but also altered thyroid hormone function. The alteration of thyroid hormone was especially notable because this hormone plays an important part in human development during puberty. Any alterations to its function can influence the latter development of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and other ailments. Together, our findings raise the possibility that increased risk of metabolic disorders associated with PFAS exposure are caused by alterations in thyroid hormones and mediated by changes in lipid metabolism, the study authors wrote. It is also notable that the effects in the study weren't linked to any one PFAS, but rather to a combination in the blood. Currently, the EPA's renewed push to regulate PFAS has focused on PFOA and PFOS specifically, but the study indicates a more expansive approach is warranted. Quote, Our findings lend support to the argument that PFAS should be regulated as a chemical class rather than being regulated on a chemical-by-chemical chemical basis, the study authors advised. Up until now, these chemicals have been very poorly regulated and, and very little studied. The studies are getting more common and are coming to these surprising, maybe not so surprising, but alarming um, conclusions. And even when the PFAS have been regulated, the companies, as we've seen in the earlier story, fight very hard through any means, through the courts or whatever means they can find at their disposal, to avoid or eliminate those steps towards regulation. This piece by Tom Perkins, published at TheGuardian.com, explains some of this. Chemical companies are dodging a federal law designed to track how many PFAS forever chemicals their plants are discharging into the environment by exploiting a loophole created in the Trump administration's final months, a new analysis of federal records has found. The fiscal year 2020 National Defense Authorization Act put in place requirements that companies discharging over 100 pounds annually of the dangerous chemicals report the releases to the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. But during the implementation process, Trump's EPA created an unusual loophole that at least five chemical companies 
have exploited. The amount of PFAS being discharged into the air, water, or disposed of on land could be much higher than we already know, says Jared Hayes, a policy analyst with the Environmental Working Group and a report co-author. Allowing manufacturers to skirt reporting requirements has serious public health consequences for communities that live near facilities that use PFAS, and they have a right to know how many forever chemicals companies are releasing. Public health advocates say PFAS discharges from chemical plants have sickened residents living near or downstream from them. Contamination from a Shamores factory in North Carolina has contaminated hundreds of square miles around the facility. And DuPont paid $670 million for sickening thousands of residents near its West Virginia PFAS production plant. EWG's analysis of federal reporting records identified five plants discharging unknown amounts of 14 PFAS compounds, though there, are, though there may be more. There certainly are more. The Trump EPA gave PFAS an unusual exemption under the law that allows companies not to report discharges if the amounts are quote-unquote negligible, which is defined as less than 1% of a total mixture. The rule is referred to as the de minimis exemption. Companies discharging thousands of pounds of PFAS could have gotten their releases under the 1% threshold via several routes, said Melanie Benish, EWG's Vice President of Government Affairs. Companies may have added water to PFAS to dilute it to the point that it is below 1%. However, the total amount of PFAS released is still high and may present a threat once in the environment. Companies may also be using complex mixtures with multiple PFAS. If the companies keep any one PFAS compound below the 1% threshold, then they won't have to report it, even if the total amount of all PFAS compounds in the mixture far exceeds 1%. Quote, The reason we have the reporting law is so communities downstream from those facilities know what is in their water. So if you have companies that are avoiding reporting, then it undermines the purpose of the law, Benish said. In a statement to The Guardian, an EPA spokesperson said the agency is aware of the loophole and has begun the process to potentially close it. Benish said she is uncertain why the Trump administration would agree to create the loophole, but noted that chemical companies or trade groups asked for the exemption during implementation's public comment. Meanwhile, the American Chemistry Council, a trade group representing companies that avoided reporting PFAS discharges, had lobbied the EPA office in charge of implementing the law. The NDAA required companies managing and disposing of 180 different kinds of PFAS over 100 pounds annually to report their releases to the EPA Toxics Release Inventory, or TRI. Separately, the Chemical Data Reporting Rule, CDR, already required companies that use PFAS in volumes more than 2,500 pounds annually to report use data. The EPA last year noticed companies that handled or produced large volumes of PFAS and reported to the CDR did not report discharges under the TRI. Companies contacted by the agency cited the 1% de minimis exemption as the reason for not reporting. Allowing PFAS to be exempted under the de minimis is clearly at odds with Congress's intent, Hayes wrote. 
Lawmakers intentionally set the 100-pound reporting threshold because all substances with such low reporting levels are labeled chemicals of special concern. Manufacturers cannot use the de minimis exemption to avoid reporting releases of chemicals of special concern. But when the Trump EPA implemented the law, it did not include PFAS as a chemical of special concern and instead gave it a designation with chemicals with reporting thresholds of 10,000 pounds or above, Hayes wrote. PFAS are the only chemicals with a 100-pound reporting limit that can use the exemption. Quote, EPA's de minimis loophole gives companies an opportunity to keep their pollution secret, which goes against the very purpose of the toxic release inventory, said Tim Whitehouse, a former EPA attorney and executive director of Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. In a statement to The Guardian, the EPA said its proposed rule changes include removing the eligibility of the 1% exemption for PFAS, designating PFAS as a chemical of concern, and, quote, reversing the approach set forth by the previous administration. And finally for this episode is a piece written by Jenna McGuire, published at commondreams.org. A coalition of more than a dozen environmental groups filed a petition on Thursday with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency demanding the EPA rescind approval for 600 per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances and immediately remove the products containing the chemicals from the market. Per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS, commonly referred to as forever chemicals, are a large family of human-made toxic chemicals used in various products and industrial processes, including airplane jet engines, firefighting foam, waterproof jackets, nonstick pans, shampoo, food packaging, paints, and other household items and can persist in humans and the environment for decades, sometimes taking up to 1,700 years to degrade. According to the environmental groups, the EPA allowed PFAS to be approved for market by unlawfully exploiting exemptions in the Toxic Substances Control Act, or TSCA, which allowed the agency to approve these chemicals through lax safety reviews. PFAS caused cancers and birth defects, yet EPA approved hundreds of them through loopholes, said Eve Gartner, Earth Justice's managing attorney. If EPA is serious about addressing the PFAS crisis, it must immediately take off the market all PFAS that were approved through misused exemptions. PFAS manufacturers must follow the most stringent approval process. In fact, we believe no PFAS would be approved if full safety reviews were conducted. Under TSCA Guidelines Section 5, a pre-manufacture notice, or PMN, is required for the safety review of new chemicals to determine what kind of risk they pose. However, if PMN exemptions are granted, as they were for hundreds of PFAS, it allows the EPA to forgo full Section 5 safety reviews for certain chemical substances. Under this exemption, chemicals are approved through the EPA's own determination that the chemical, quote, will not present an unreasonable risk to humans or the environment. PFAS are linked to numerous adverse health effects and scientific evidence has found that even low levels of exposure can cause various cancers, immune system suppression, cardiovascular diseases, developmental harms, and liver disease in children. 
A 2016 study found that 16.5 million Americans across 33 states and three American territories were exposed to drinking water with detectable levels of PFAS, and a more recent study found that tens of thousands of sites across the United States, including restaurants, car washes, and textile cleaners, are believed to be contaminated by PFAS. Forever chemicals are also considered environmental contaminants, affecting fish populations, plants, and aquatic ecosystems. Quote, PFAS are pervasive in the environment and present in the bodies of virtually every person in the U.S., the environmental group said. People are exposed to PFAS through various sources, including the products we use, the food we eat, the air we breathe, and the water we drink. Due to the overwhelming scientific evidence detailing the harm caused by PFAS, the environmental groups say that the EPA cannot conclude that PFAS meet the quote, will not present an unreasonable risk designation, and demand that the EPA revoke all PMN exemptions previously granted for PFAS as they do not meet the legal standards. Quote, by continuing to allow the manufacture and use of PFAS that have not undergone the full PMN review process, while simultaneously relying on ineffective voluntary programs that fail to meaningfully limit manufacture, processing, use, and disposal of PFAS, LVEs, and Lorexes, EPA is violating TSCA, its own regulations, in the Administrative Procedure Act, the groups said. The petition aims to prohibit the use of four EPA-created exemptions, the Byproducts Exemption, the Low Volume Exemption, or LVE, the Low Release and Exposure Exemption, or LORAX, and the Polymer Exemption for PFAS approval. Along with advocating for an approval process rooted in science and law, the petition explains, quote, how EPA's increasingly frequent practice of approving PFAS via PMN exemptions rather than via the PMN review process has put communities and the environment at risk and deprived the public information about proposed new PFAS that it would be entitled to during the PMN process. The petition adds that nothing in these arguments should be read to suggest that petitioners believe EPA could lawfully find that any proposed new PFAS is not likely to present an unreasonable risk of injury to health or the environment, the legal standard that must be met for manufacture to commence after submission of a PMN. And that brings me back to something I said near the beginning of, of the U.S. EPA and so many quote-unquote regulatory agencies taking their leads from capitalist corporations and allowing things into the environment without adequate testing, without adequate examination of the risks, the real risks uh, in, in allowing those things to be used and to be released. That'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. But as I mentioned at the beginning, this is going to be one of a pair of episodes on PFAS and their impacts on humans and the environment.
you will catch that episode after it comes out and you can catch all the back episodes at you can't be neutral.com you can follow me on twitter at ycb neutral and you can listen to this and all my other podcasts playing 24 7 at movingtrainradio.com and now here are 10,000 maniacs with your moment of zen this is poison in the well thanks for listening